Welcome to the Motoring Podcast, your weekly discussion of motoring news. This was episode 526 on Tuesday, the 23rd of May, 2023. Hello, I'm Alan. Hello, I'm Andrew. And this week, we'll be listening to the sound of inevitability as one company takes a bigger stake in another. In new new car news, we are like kids in a radio-controlled toy shop. And as part of points of interest, we see why the race to be first can make you last, and where last can be first. We start with some follow-up. And this is the news that the AM radio being ditched in the US has started to make its way over to the culture wars area of politics. Bipartisan senators are trying to introduce legislation that will bar car makers from eliminating AM radios from their vehicles. Now, if we remember, the real fear is, and how real it is, is up for a little bit of debate, but not that much, Mm. is that if AM is removed, people won't be able to get emergency broadcasts. Even though there are a host of other options, all of which are much better than AM radio that less and less people are listening to. They don't necessarily mean that you have to have your radio turned on for a start. It is one of these bills, and you just look, whenever you see that the bill's sponsors include Senator Ted Cruz, mm-hmm. Tammy Baldwin, Deb Fisher, yes, it, it's going to be turned into a big thing. Yes. On the flip side, uh, people saying, well, there's interference from EV electrical systems with AM radio. On the flip side, Nissan and Hyundai uh, do offer AM radio in, in the Leaf and the Ionic Electric, respectively. Mm-hmm. So, possibly two sides to the story, but this one looks like it's attracted the attention of the loonies. Yes. And the interesting thing is, more and more AM radio stations are going to digital. And what's most likely to happen is that fewer stations are likely to broadcast on AM, and it's going to have a knock on effect until you're basically going to be maintaining this technology in vehicles which there's nothing available on. Yeah, exactly. Right. Do you want to bring us back to Blighty? I'll come via Hangzhou in China, though, because <laughs> Geely have announced in a press release that they have increased their equity stake in Aston Martin Lagonda to about 17%. It's as part of a new relationship agreement uh, with the ultra-luxury British performance brand, and I quoted there. Or Stroll, I think, directly, is more importantly. He is, is being very bullish about it, so I don't know if he's actively trying to reduce his investment. Or what? It's all very odd because he spent so long, so many times rebuffing them. Yeah, exactly. When they've offered cash that now he says yes. So what happens is Geely is third biggest shareholder with 17%. Mm. And then you have the public investment fund of Saudi Arabia, which is at 18%. And then U-Tree Consortium, which is such an unfortunate name, which is the Lawrence Stroll-led consortium, which holds 21% of the stake. Yeah, so we'll see. It's the relentless march of Geely across uh, the automotive spectrum around the world, I suppose. Next up, a road safety firm stroke group. It's, it's a weird one, this, because it's a firm, but it's, it's a non-profit organization. And it's called the Older Drivers Forum. Okay, It is a not-for-profit organization. It is run by the Hampshire Constabulary Road Safety Team. Mm. They are saying that the current requirements for elderly drivers are inadequate, specifically around eye tests. And what they're doing is they're calling for mandatory eye testing once drivers turn 70, and then every three years thereafter. I, as someone with elderly parents, I don't see any issue with this whatsoever. In fact, I think that this is a dashed good idea. 
Yes, I tried, as everyone will imagine, to have a look at this and find a flaw, but I can't. I think it is eminently sensible. I think it is easy to implement. And um, I think it just enhances the confidence that the people, the drivers themselves will have. Because some people may have self-doubt, but not enough to go and do something about it or just, you know, oh, I'll get round to it and never get to it. But this will force their hand and then they will know for sure. And it will also take off people who have just become adjusted to having poorer eyesight. Mm-hmm. And because it's happened over a long period of time, not realised how bad their eyesight was because they've managed and got around. It triggers them to go to the optician to do things. Now, there is a downside about this, and that's, well, what if people's eyesight isn't good enough? Well, it's a, and, and it's, it's a losing the license thing, and, and that, that's a worry when there is no decent alternative public transport in place. But equally... If but their the road safety is yeah. They shouldn't yeah, no no no. I know I know you I know you weren't advocating sorry people who've got poor eyesight can still stay on the road, it's fine because there's no buses. I know you weren't no, advocating. No, that's that. not what I was saying. <laughs> that's the opposite. I was just trying to think through somebody somewhere who's going to go, ah, but there's no public transport, so people have to drive. And that the trouble is that that shouldn't be the case. This is again one of those reasons why really public transport is so important. Yeah. Infrastructure, 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 as I'm probably going to keep on saying all yeah. of this show. <laughs> a quick note, though, I love the picture that Autocar have used in the article that's linked in the show notes because it is of a slightly blurred interior view from an Alpina, which obviously many, many 70-year-olds drive to the shops in. Yes. The further down, there is a Mazda 2, though, stuck on the motorway, which is a little bit more, more reflective of most people's driving. I'm going to stick with the UK, and this is the news that Stellantis, or as the BBC call them, Vauxhall Maker, has warned that Brexit may force it to close UK factory. This was the first majorly public statement from the car industry that grabbed the attention of the public that said, there's an issue coming. And it's a big one that could affect thousands and thousands of jobs and the cost of everything. And this isn't, I don't know, this always depresses. Well, where do we start with this, I suppose? No, okay, well, let's start with, because I said that this, the public got hold of this. So in the industry, anyone who's been following the show or who reads magazines or is on social media in car land will have seen people, individuals, organisations talking about this since the referendum since before the referendum well as the referendum was leading up yes they were they were it was discussed and it was explained what would happen if we went down the brexit route what it would mean implications financially and to businesses and to costs and everything and this is just reality coming and hitting but the car industry's obviously got to a point where it's so frustrated that it feels it needs to go very public with this because they don't feel like they're getting anywhere with the government privately. Yeah. And, I mean, we talked a little bit before we started recording, and, and, and I, I was saying my opinion on this is that this problem, which has been exacerbated. Oh, we need to explain the problem. We need to explain the rules of origin. We need to explain, yes. Oh, yes. Sorry. Sorry, everyone. It's because we've already talked about this. This is the trouble with preparation, everyone. <laughs> uh, so the challenges here are 
it's all to do with uh, rules of origin and where stuff started its life. And because of the way that the Brexit agreement is structured in the loosest possible term, then parts and entire vehicles could face a 10%, ta- well, as it stands at the minute, would face a 10% tariff yeah. on entry to the EU. 45% of the value of a vehicle uh-huh. should originate in the, the UK or the EU to qualify for trade without tariffs. That's going to go yes. up to 65% in 2027. But this is so from uh-huh. next year, it's 45%, then it goes up another 20% in 2027. And that's a problem because, because that's not the way global supply chains worked previously. And it's not where things like the batteries and stuff come from. And, yeah. and that's one of the moves, that's why the, the move to EV has exacerbated this even more than straight up internal combustion engine vehicles is because things like the battery, which is a large part of the the value, currently has to be sourced elsewhere. Well, Stellantis and others have openly talked about the battery can be 50% of the value. Yeah. So immediately you're out of that thing and you've in your hit. Yeah. And that's what's that's that's one of the things. Now I think there's a point here where it's easy to sit and and you know be a commentator on social media or on a podcast. <laughs> And um, and sit and, and sound like some kind of early 1980s Ben Elton sketch, shouting the Tories, the Tories, the Tories. But actually, I think it's it's a bigger issue than that. I don't I don't think it is just the Conservative Party. I think the challenge for this stuff originates in the fact that civil servants running running departments and things are civil servants running departments, and that's fine. But the politicians that we've got are all pretty much all seem to be at this moment in time either from a finance background so they have no idea of manufacturing they just look at their from banking mm-hmm. you have no idea of anything really or they are newspaper columnists or legal or legal yes legal by the way being the best of the lot ironically it's not often you'll say that and so they have no understanding no desire to understand the joys of manufacturing logistics and all this and this is what has ultimately this 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 lack of you know these things just happen hmm. that's for things other people happen. to worry about other people you know and no, nobody nobody actually makes things anymore it's all robots these days and things just magically appear it's just amazon isn't it it's just order from amazon or whole foods or whoever i know it's part of it and so there's this lack of understanding of how things get from being raw materials to ending up as a, a nice thing that you can use. Yeah. And I think that that actually is the root cause of, of this issue. I think it's the root cause of a lot of Brexit, to be honest. I think that this is a problem that has been there for a long, long time, this lack of understanding of manufacturing by politicians in, in, in UK government. I think that it has been exacerbated by Brexit, and it's been exacerbated again, in this case, by the, by the, 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 dri- the drive. Uh, towards towards EVs um, on top of internal combustion, you know, instead of internal combustion engine car. Yep. And that's that's a, a big problem. Now, there is some backup reading to this. There's a piece from 2021, January 2021, by Jim Holder, talking about this to show that this isn't particularly new. Uh, and there's also a piece from uh, Philip Inman in The Guardian. That's a really interesting one because whilst he does put a lot of blame at politicians and he makes it clear that brexit is not the only reason that there is an issue but he also puts a lot of blame 
on the car industry itself, which I think when you read it through is incredibly fair because he talks mm. about how they quietly go up and try and get their hand out mm. as any business would. But that means they cannot be blameless in how the situation as it is, but they go up and they, they demand and threaten and cajole the government, whoever it is at the time and say, give us some cash or we're off. And then you're going to have to tell all your people that we've left because of you. Uh, and mm. we've seen the handouts have been given. Nissan got it. JLR have got it. Toyota. The Vauxhall maker got it for <laughs> Vauxhall. That's how I'm going to have to refer to them from now on after that fantastic BBC it's headline. a ridiculous term. Yeah. Um, there are a lot of reasons why, and it's a really good article that I do encourage you to go and uh, read. Should we move on to happier things, Andrew, and talk about Gloucestershire? Well, you say happy. This is the news that Gloucestershire County Councillor Paul Hodgkinson has said that the state of the roads has meant that they should be declared an emergency in the county. He claims that his email inbox is full of complaints about the poor roads, but I think it just reiterates how we all feel in the UK that I think we'd all declare our roads an emergency, considering the poor, poor state of them and the continued cutting of actual real-world f- money for them, no mm. matter what shenanigans are pulled on budget day, uh, th- yes. th- it is still a cut in service coverage. But one of the things I didn't realise is that the government standards state that a high-priority safety issue must be fixed within one working day, and other safety defects, which I haven't had a chance to go and find out what they are, are given 28 days to fix. So that's 28 days more after someone reports them that people can claim from the from the council. Yeah, 28 days, I, I kind of get that. But one working day is going to be something serious like a collapsed manhole cover yeah, or something. Yeah. That's, that's something which is a threat to life. An obvious threat to life. Let me just carefully... Yeah, it's something that will catastrophically damage a vehicle and things yeah. like that. Yeah. But I do... I, I don't have the article to hand but i know there was something put out last week that explained how many millions were spent on um compensating drivers for damage to their vehicles because of mm. potholes and it sort of gets to a point because we talked about this many times it, yeah. it has to get to a point where somebody with a spreadsheet is going actually it's cheaper for us to invest more rather yeah. than take away from you you've got to catch up on it and that's what i see i i see here in the u.s is is there is not you know i'm looking at these pictures of gloucestershire roads and thinking yeah those look about right for around here um and in fact the country roads aren't nearly as bad as that it's the town ones and just just see those lack of investment in in infrastructure and and everything and it's not just roads it's it's light rail and everything here yeah yeah Um, i i think infrastructure is obviously something it goes back to what you were saying with mm. politicians in the previous bit. Anyway, do you want to take us to Mercedes and what they're doing to help our ears? A super quick one. Uh, and this is something that's actually been around since the middle of 2015. I just didn't realise it. A Mercedes, just before the airbags go off, in the event of a, uh, or it thinks that there is about to be an imminent collision, will play a blast of what's called pink noise. Now, we've all heard of grey noise. There are different colours of noise. I know, I know it sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? But it's all to do with the, the sort of percentage of tones within, within the sort of shh noise that's going on there. Technical um, terms. Technical terms. Uh, and, and so what it does is this particular set, known as pink noise, it causes the muscles in your ear to contract. 
Uh, and that automatically helps protect against loud noises like the airbags going off or something crashing into you, hopefully re- reducing he- hearing damage. Yeah, it's damage, but also disorientation because of the, uh, because yeah. of the noise. Blooming clever thing. Mm. Just a little tiny bit. There's a link in the show notes so you can listen to some pink noise yep. uh, rather than us including it in the podcast. It's super short. It's only like a paragraph or two, but it's, it's just an interesting thing. I didn't know. No, absolutely. A bit of safety tech that's approved by Andrew. There's a rare thing. God. Goodness me. (laughs) I am going to take us to Neo. This is the Chinese EV brand. Uh, And if you've heard about them, you've probably heard that they do something different with their EVs. They can actually swap out battery packs. Now, what they have revealed recently is their third generation swap station which will mean that the whole battery pack can be taken out of your car in under five minutes and you'll be back on the road and off you can go. And that's with a full charge. They have been in Europe and obviously China up until now, mm. but NEO is actively moving into the UK market. So, um, 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 And we know this partly because, of course, uh, NEO's chief executive for Europe uh, was on a panel I hosted at the MOVE conference last year. Yep, he was. So they are coming to the UK and they'll be bringing the third generation uh, swap stations, which is also an improvement on what they can actually achieve with them because they'll be able to store 21 batteries as opposed to 13 um, from the last generation. And they only had five originally, which means that they think they'll be able to swap over 400 times during a day when it's fully up to speed. I've seen some negative about this no pun intended because some don't believe battery swaps work although neo's own figures seem to counter that for them yes and also there's questions about diverting Uh, i saw someone saying that it was a diversion of electricity resources because this is a proprietary technology Mm-hmm. Uh, unlike public charges, which is what the government is apparently wanting everyone to focus on, is, is getting the public charging infrastructure out there. And this would divert some resources away from that. But you sort of sit there and think, yes, but they'd need to charge publicly if they weren't doing this. So electricity is electricity, is it not? And Yeah, and you don't have to do this. So the... No. the- the example that everyone quotes is the Israeli startup Better Place, which had some modified Renault fluences. So you needed to buy a Renault, a modified car at a time, a modified rather rubbish car, electric <laughs> car, at a time when when electric cars were not wonderfully popular, and there seemed to have been some other challenges with with their system. But not least the fact that you know, look at the market penetration of EVs now. Yeah, it probably just wasn't. You know, there, there are many things, many aspects to Better Place's failure, and that's the one that everyone quotes. Oh, it doesn't work because Better Place couldn't manage it. Yeah, uh, but this well, Neo that's nearly does a decade seem, ago now. Twenty thirteen. Yeah, yeah so it already ago. failed by twenty thirteen. So that was a decade ago. So yeah, yeah, but it does seem to work for Neo. One of the things about this is, of course, you don't have to charge. You don't have to do this. No, you can buy your Neo, charge your Neo drive your Neo, charge your Neo. Uh, and, I, and one of the things that was mentioned uh, at Move was the fact that this is something you do by exception. Yeah. Now, some owners choose to do it by course, and that's down to them. They actually recommend you do it by exception. This would be, you know, normally you, you charge, you drive around. 
if you're on a longer journey... If you want to hurtle across the continent on one bladder, Alan. Yes, exactly. Uh, and you can sit in there and get jiggled around by it as well, uh, whilst, it's, whilst it's doing the swap. Then you can go swap it out, you know, have the, the unit uh, swap out the battery, and then you can be on your way within... I know it's five minutes for the swap, but I imagine there's a bit of faffing before. So you'll be on your way within 10 minutes. Mm. And you pay more for that, obviously, just yeah. the same way the faster the charger you want to use, public charger you want to use to charge your car publicly, uh, the cost goes up. Hello, Ionity. You know, compared to slower charging, then this is just that next tier. Yeah. And, and I think there was something at one point, and it doesn't work out that much different from Ionity, really. So it, it's not something you're expected to do all the time the other thing is of course if it's that quick and it's a fixed period of time to swap the car you can plan much better for queues know how long things are going to take not be sitting around not knowing whether or not that uh, ix3 driver is going to is, is going to be finished charging in the next 10 minutes or the next 20 minutes or the next 30 minutes and what level they're going to it's a set time so it's much much easier to plan on longer journeys yeah can't see a problem with exploring different options of technology. I don't get it. I, I don't get what the big deal is no. with it. And, you know, you don't have to. If you don't like it, you don't have to use it. It's that simple. But the choice is there. Yeah. That's that for the newsy section this week, which, of course, means that it's guilt minute. Quick break in show where we ask for Tad's financial support to keep the lights on and the hosting running. Feel the motoring podcast worth small consideration every month, then you can become a patron. Uh, different levels of patron include different levels of commitment from us to you, including being able to watch the show recorded live. That's right, you get it without all the edits. Bad luck. Uh, we also have a small range of merchandise in our spring store, from stickers to mugs and t-shirts. Uh, if you don't have any spare cash, and we do completely understand, then you can help us by following for free from a podcast player to receive every show as they're released, and by liking and rating the show in whatever way your podcast supplier lets you. If you've done all that, and some of you do, so thank you very much, then the last thing you can do is recommend us to your friends or colleagues. Yep. Thank you, everyone who does and continues to do so. Very much appreciated. You rock. New, new car news, Alan. Uh, yeah, well, we bumped some of last week's into this week because there was so much last week. <laughs> yes. Uh, we're starting off with the new Ford Tourneo Courier. So this is a van-derived car. Woohoo. In the style of a Berlingo or a Peugeot Partner and that kind of ilk you all know what i'm talking about and this one is based on the smallest transit yeah it's it's as you'd expect it's it's kind of boxy it's the rear doors on both sides slide yay which is good uh and the pictures here which are quite a high spec one i imagine yes uh show it with a white roof and green and stuff and it looks like you know i think somebody on social media said honey i shrunk the defender and I think that that describes it really quite nicely. Yes. Uh, which is kind of cool. I think it's a good looking little thing. Uh, yeah. I, I think some of the best designs currently happen to be in the van derived car sector because the, yeah, because everything else seems to be going for da on a design level, whatever that is. However, that's executed by the individual design teams. And apologies to anyone listening on headphones for that, yeah. Uh, and uh, and it, it's going to be obviously eminently practical, particularly if you're trying to carry five people and stuff. Again, just go back and listen to the Bilingo review or the oh. Rifter review or anything like that that we've discussed. 
Uh, and it's going to come in um, both ice and EV flavor, but the ice will only be a one liter, 124 horsepower turbo petrol Echo, sorry, EcoBoost, not EcoBoost. Echo was the SUV, Eco is the engine. Sorry. Yeah. It's the same one that powers uh, the Fiestas that have just been culled. And you can mate that to either a six speed manual or a seven speed also. There's going to be an EV, which will have, they think, a 55 kilowatt per hour uh, battery capacity, which mm. should give about a range of 230 miles. The basic cost of this, the the, the smallest, is going to be around twenty thousand pounds starting price. That's for the petrol. Yeah, I would imagine it's going to be quite a bit more expensive for the electric. And if um, you bolt anything on, and if you bolt anything on, yes. Uh, but it it looks good. People are getting quite agitated that it's replacing the Fiesta, but I think that's more because because of the lack of Fiesta. The Fiestas hold such a fond place in people's hearts. And there is no longer a small car. Yeah, because don't don't get us wrong. This is you know this is a uh, this is a small you know the the, the Tornio. They're the small version transit jobbies. They're not the, a tiny car. But you, it's, you mean the Transit Courier? Yeah. yeah, Transit Courier. Sorry. And this is this so this is now Ford's entry level into their uh, into their brand. I, I think it's it's cool. Let's just see what it looks like uh, whenever it actually hits the hits the roads. I expect to see lots of bikes and canoes strapped to the top of them. Yeah, it's a bit like round here. So that's a vehicle that, that's coming and you expect to see lots of. Here's a vehicle that I didn't realize was already here. And I don't think anybody's seen any of. No. Uh, the DS9 has been updated for 2023. Uh, now you ask, what is a DS9? Well, it is the top of the range saloon offered by the DS range. This is the vehicle that the latest French diplomats will be driven around in foreign lands because there isn't a Peugeot or Renault equivalent at the moment, I don't think. Yeah. So this will be the, the luxury large car. I swear that that's the reason it's sold in the UK, is purely so that the French embassy can have one. <laughs> well, what they've done is they have upgraded the interior, the options list, and made sure that the tech uh, attached to the car is the very latest that DS offer. For example, they've got the... Uh, extra safety tech that is uh, across the range they've also improved the infotainment um, and the touchscreen uh, and it also has the latest uh, iris system infotainment from ds bringing it up to date uh, like i say across with the rest of the range I mean, so there's there's two high plug-in hybrid powertrains uh, 250 brake uh, 250 horsepower or 360 horsepower prices start at fifty six thousand pounds and that will get you the 250 horsepower Rivoli Plus. The next up is the 250 horsepower Opera. And then there's the 360 horsepower Opera. And topping out uh, at £74,415. Starting. I don't think anybody will ever pay for the 360 horsepower Esprit de Voyage. As I say, you would have, I mean, no matter how good the car is, the fact that it is a very large French saloon being sold in the UK means that you would have to either have a penchant for burning £20 notes every day, possibly £50 notes every day, or a real absolute adoration for large French saloons, or you'd have to be basically part of the French government in the UK and you're never going to pay that much anymore. 
Yeah, there will be a link in the show notes that, so you can see some pictures of it because it is a very handsome looking car. I have to say, mm, it's nice. Um, uh, uh, and you probably have no idea what it looks like, like we didn't. Shall we head from the sublime to the ridiculous? Yes, let's go right to the other end of the market, please. Uh, Citroen Ami, which is going to be available in its buggy format, 40 of them in the UK, being released very soon for about £10,000. Uh, there's your bonus, bonus new new car news. But a Swedish company is going to produce a flat pack EV for about £8,800. No, it's not a well-known Swedish furniture store. It's a company called Lovely. L-U-V-L-Y. And they are aiming to use Swedish furniture store style flat pack construction to revolutionize the light electric vehicle market, he says, quoting this autocar article. So light electrical vehicle market is quadricycle. It is, basically. It is quadricycle. Uh, so the the lovely O, uh, it weighs less than 400 kilos. It's 2.7 meters long. Uh, it has a sizable 269-liter boot, and it uses swappable batteries. Oh, here Ooh. they are again. Boo. And the firm claims a range of 62 miles as a top speed of 56 miles an hour. So it that will be quicker. Better than the Ami. Yeah. The size of that boot and the fact it's all enclosed does make me think that this has um, potential as a delivery vehicle. Yes. Right. Anything else? Yeah. It's sandwich composite chassis, all sorts of stuff like that. Initial starting price looks to be around £8,800, as I said. This is a development of of an uh, of something that the founder, a chap called Hocken Lutz, who has been around in the car industry for quite a while. It's something that he tried at a previous company about fifteen years ago, and this is a development of that, given the given how much battery tech has progressed. But it doesn't solve many problems because it's still quite sizable. You still have to. It's too big to go in a bike lane. So it's going to have to go on the road and you're taking up the, you know, okay, a slightly smaller footprint, but you're basically in a lane of traffic. So you can't beat things around. It's like the, this is the floor with the Ami. Cute and fantastic though I think it is. And I, and I really do. I think it's a great fun idea. It doesn't fix any problems. There was a great looking out episode recently uh, that had a guest on uh, that mm. Drew was interviewing. And they absolutely nailed the point that the car, because they were talking about the Ollie as well. Yes. The car industry is trying to solve the problem of overcrowding of roads and everything, but they are only looking from the minute focus of a car. How can we make a car better rather than how can we make moving people about better? That actually was one of the things that the, that the auto leaps were good at in Paris, was actually reducing the number of vehicles in circulation just those same vehicles were being used more yeah um so it was but it was reducing the demands of parking reducing everything else the fact that the cars were completely knackered smelt of whittle and uh, and were totally and utterly unsafe it's a different matter but people who used them actually really miss them because because i will say that if you had an environment where these were the only vehicles as like a it's a bit like the hybrids and the plug-in mm. hybrids it's a it's a gateway drug to stepping away from a full car because you are opened up to experiences and realize oh i don't need all the time to have my large vehicle that you know just me or one other person is in typically mm. it, you know it's, it's it's a nice education platform so if you had a, a a town that said right these 
these sectors inwards, you know, for mm-hmm. this square mile, you're only allowed to drive these vehicles, which we will provide as the council. And, you know, you pay a small fee to drive them because they have to be charged and all the rest of it. That might be a way of doing it. I mean, there's far too many things to work out there for me just to pull off the top of my head and lots of ways for it to be abused. I get that. But if they're the only vehicle or them and scooters and cycles and pedestrians, that will be a friendlier, better way to get around. Well, you say that and then you get the rental car mentality and the there isn't much. Like I said, there, uh, there, there, there isn't, isn't much. There isn't much that that will happen to us if I drive this like a loon. There's, like as well as we saw with the bloke in Monte Carlo who turned the army on its roof. Well, yes, but uh, there's always those sort of things. But just as a general idea, to mm. to help people, it, uh, yeah. Or, or if it's a holiday a complex, say yeah, these are the exactly. vehicles to That's... get around, or a retirement home, retirement complex. Yeah. You know, yeah. And you can ship twenty of them in a in a twenty foot container. Well, That's good. So again. Uh, moving back, I don't know whether this is sublime or ridiculous, really, but Niels Van Roy uh, has come up with a... Um, well, we know Niels because he's come up with things like the Tesla shooting brake, 550 bread van, a Rolls Royce shooting brake, and all sorts of stuff. But under his Heritage Customs offshoot, he has uh, developed a convertible Defender 90. Yes. And it... Mm. <laughs> okay, so... Do you, it, so it is convertible, not in the sense that you unstud lots of things, roll up the sides of a bit over the back, and yeah, it's not military convertible. It's more silver cross convertible. Yes, there is a there is a hunking great bit of folded material at the back of the car when you when you make it convertible, and it goes all the way from the windscreen back, so it's not just the the rear passengers or anything. And, and that makes sense because I don't think that the market who would be looking to buy this are into pop studs and zippers. I don't care what they want. <laughs> you, what, you mean the people who actually have the money to do to yeah. buy this kind of thing? No. And, I, and buy I'm one, buy do, one, have it converted. I'm going to do proper mojo thing. This is not what I'd have. Therefore, it's all wrong. Were you going to buy it anyway, Andrew? No. No. That's not the point. Yes, exactly. I think it looks great with the top up. Yes. That's a trick that the Bronco can't pull. Oh, the Bronco can't do that at all. It looks, looks like looks someone's awful. just thrown a tent on it. Yeah, yeah, and the hardtop's not a great deal better, by the way. So I would, I would much rather one of these than, than a Bronco. The Bronco also too big for Europe. Despite yeah. what everybody goes, oh, look at the Bronco, look at the Bronco. Bronco is a big, wide thing. It'd, it'd be hateful in the UK. But yeah, I think that this looks great with the roof up. I think it looks passable with the roof down. I think it's kind of cool. I love the wheels. Yeah, I, I love the I love the color as well, and and the little touches inside because they, they they've obviously leatherized the roll bars and everything, uh, mm. and I think that looks really good the way they've done. How long it would stay like that, I don't know, but I think it looks really good. But I'm also sure that you could choose how much of that was luxuriousified, or if you just wanted, you know, a more basic interior. Yeah. This one will have all the stuff because it'll be the show-off one. They'll be intended to be bought by people and driven around can. Yeah. I like the fact someone's done it. It's, I was about to say exactly the same. The thing with Neil's stuff is it's so cool that somebody does it. Even if I like it or not, I think it's awesome that it's been done. Yes. More of that. Right, I'm going to take us to an article in Calibre magazine. And, well, I think we've found the cars that both of us want now and nothing else. Uh, and this is the Tamiya Wild One Max. So this is going to be a full-size version 
hey guys, it's it's another electric quadricycle, everyone. But this one's <laughs> of, a bit different. Yeah, of the Tamiyo Wild One radio control car from 1985 that the little car company has uh, has announced it will be building, uh, and it's going to be road legal. And I haven't been this excited for a new car in inverted commas for quite some time. I was saying recently on social media how I've struggled to get excited about cars, new cars recently. But this one, absolutely, totally here for this. It's mad and nuts, and it's going to be totally impractical for anything but having fun. And also reminds me that Nir Khan needs to make a a consumer version of the wilder three-seater off-road vehicle that they have announced from Plusan. There's nothing I can say to follow that, to follow that up, really. That looks hilarious. Uh, you can, uh, if you want to make it practical, you can spec a, a windscreen and a, and a windscreen wiper as well. Well, let's go for all the mod cons. Keep keep, keep the mud off it, yeah. Yes. Uh, so yes, uh, it's 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 pretty cool. Oh god, I love definitely. That. I, love that. I did it's so much. The whole twizzy buggy or this, mm, twizzy buggy or the, uh, not twizzy buggy, uh, ammy buggy or this. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's tricky, Tabloid. isn't it? Yeah, it is. Actually. No, it's not, not at all. Be great. It, it was electric cars for the weekend. That's what's so yeah, cool yeah. about it. Uh, and it, and it's little, so you can put it on a trailer and take it somewhere fun and do it that way. Yep. Yes, I agree. Uh, lunchtime read, Andrew. Yeah, into the points of interest. And uh, this is from The Autopian. You will remember probably a little while ago, there was a post on social media of someone showing a, a car that had gone into the back of a Rivian pickup and then with a post about how they have been quoted $42,000. No, no, no. They've been quoted $1,600. The final bill was 42000 Ah, sorry. Got that wrong. Now, there's times that garages do get this slightly wrong, but that was 26 times wrong when it comes yeah. to an estimation. But there is a reason behind that. And what I really like about this article is the Autopian follow through to find out exactly why rather than what most people did which was just go oh that's ridiculous can i chime in and just say that was the insurance company whose vehicle had hit this the insurance of the person whose vehicle had hit the rivian that came back with the 1600 dollar assessment not the garage not the not the rivian approved repairer okay there's a lot of little context bits in this which you can go oh look how much it costs for this tiny bump and it is a small bump at the back but to repair it properly and up to standard by people who know what they're doing it costs forty two thousand dollars and took two and a half months and took two and a half months and what's so interesting and this is this is you've got to start at the beginning and read this whole article and what's interesting about it really is that at no point is anybody trying to screw anyone else. No, this is, this is not a con job. This is not a con. Nobody is a con. It sounds ridiculous at the start, and you read through, and you read some of the investigation, you read the reasons why things are the way they are, and I don't think it should cost $42,000 to, to repair a, a small bump to the back bumper. No, but that's personally. coming. That's coming but to it's the coming, industry. And it explains why and how it's coming to the industry. I mean, that said, mate, I was quoted to replace the reverse light, one of the reverse light assemblies on the Lexus 
The Lexus hit turned around with a straight face and quoted me $930.40 to replace a reverse light in the lower bumper. Was he sitting on his golden throne as he did that? How she did it with a straight face, I don't know. How did you react with a straight face? Or did you perhaps... I actually laughed out loud and said, well, of course, I think I'm going to have to think about that, don't you? And then I went and bought the part for $100 from Rock Auto and fitted it myself, lying on my back in the parking garage downstairs, because I'll be damned if I'm paying that. Mm. But um, getting back to the point that this is coming yeah, to the, the industry, it really is, because Tesla's screaming about how they're doing this one press, or was it gigapress? Yeah, basically, it's these massive press panels. Now, there are... It's going to be one... It's these one-panel systems or large panels or all-in-one chassis and all the rest of it. Mm. That makes it... Forgetting all the technology that's been bolted on board, because that's why... Things are getting, but this is this is nothing to do with the technology. That's the no, irony. No, no, I know that. Not because it's electric. It's not because of technology. It's because of the damn big pressings. Yeah, and it's the it's the manufacturing idea because Rivian is not a traditional manufacturer, so they looked at it a different way and went, "Oh, let's do it this way." But there are um, always trade offs mm-hmm. with how you do something. There is a reason that the car industry generally builds how they do. And some of it is repair, some of it is cost, some of it is ease, some of it is time. You've got to have many lenses when you're looking at a problem to be able to analyse and decide what is the best overall outcome. So there are repair, repair panels, you'll read the article, but there are repair panels available, there just weren't any for that area. As a result, the headlining had to come out. And the headlining had to come out because you can't, re- can't remove the back window unless the headlining is out and you have to remove the window because then you can spray the back of the truck bed because it's all part of the same part as the thing oh yeah knock-on effect have a read it's interesting it's the difference between building and uh engineering vehicles for their initial construction and engineering vehicles so that they can be repaired later as well yeah it's a really good article go read it we haven't actually given away that much no Weird. It is very good. And it's good to see sometimes slow journalism is good journalism. Yeah. It's one of the things I like. The, Utop- the Utopian's very good at that. Not necessarily in the, the race for clicks. List of the week uh, is from Petrol Blog. Uh, it is, of course, by Major Gav. And it is 10 of the best Renault Safran. <laughs> this is actually a really tricky list. I don't care enough about the Renaissance to have an opinion, really. Um, Andrew, go on then. Well, for me, there can only be one, I think. And it is the £200 Safran that oh, Major Gav option. himself has purchased and is uh, slowly, slowly bringing back, um, tarting up, repairing. Uh, fixing little issues with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, m- much of the Safran range very much is it falls falls into the into the same bucket as the DS9, really, doesn't it? You either yeah. want to burn twenty pound notes, or you're a French diplomat. You're going to buy one in the UK. Yeah, very cool yep. though. There's some really nice options, and it was it was such. I think what we've got to remember is it was such a sea change for Renault whenever the Safran first came out, when they're still. Creating 21s and all these kind of things. I remember seeing one early on when I was on French exchange. 
uh, when I was over in Bush, and uh, and just all of a sudden it was really cool because it was just so different. And finally, this week is a video from Auto Shenanigans, uh, yes. who's been doing wonderful stuff uh, with the uh, secrets of the motorways and all sorts of sub ten minute videos of absolute nerdism. <laughs> He's added some extra ones, and this is kind of cool. And the other week it was should you travel further to save money and he works out whether or not uh, we should actually drive longer distances to get to cheaper fuel and to try to work out if there is an equation behind it and how you can work out if it's worth it for you it is wonderfully nerdy a brilliant use of variables yeah. and a spreadsheet and just just loads of loads of good stuff brilliant use of variables yeah. okay. uh, well, he, does, no, he, he changes the variables. I know he changes the variables. It's just you, you and your Excel nerdism. <laughs> it's really good. Really good. Well worth, uh, what is it, 10 minutes of your time? Just under 10 minutes of your time, I'm sure. Yeah. So, yeah. And uh, I subscribe to Auto Shenanigans and some of his other stuff. Uh, whilst we're pimping YouTube, it's worth mentioning Pollock's projects. Put out another another video uh, about the did about uh, Chris's, Chris's Jag. So whenever you happen to click past YouTube, uh, do have a look there as well. That's us for the week, I think. Any parish notes this week, Andrew? No, don't believe so. No, no, no. Uh, other than thanks, everyone, for listening. Uh, that's awesome. Well, as we've run longer than we did last week, and we've had less to talk about, yeah, uh, I think because of that, we've waffled a bit more. So I think, that, I think we should just round out now. <laughs> I think so, yes. Uh, don't forget, folks, that between now and next week, you can give us any feedback, share your thoughts with the show at Motoring Podcast on Twitter and Instagram, on Facebook, and on the contact page at motoringpodcast.com the hub of all our activities. Uh, remember, you can support us financially via Patreon, and please leave a review and rating on Apple Podcasts or however your podcast app lets you do such a thing. Andrew, in the meantime, what's the best way to get in touch with you? best way to get in touch with me is to search for Crack Windscreen on Twitter or Mastodon, and you should find me there. And Alan, if people would like to get in touch with you personally, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, same, really. Twitter and Mastodon are at AJP Bradley. That's B-R-A-D-L-E-Y. We'll be back very soon. But until then, I've been Alan Bradley. I've been Andrew Clues. And safe motoring.